So, uh, just a couple things. We had tables this last week, which is the uh, women's uh, gathering that we have, and that happened in this room. I think we had close to 90, something like that. Woo! 90. Lots of, lots of ladies. That, that was fantastic. So, um, so glad that you guys came to that. Listen, if you haven't gone yet, you haven't been a part of it, I want to encourage you to do that. That's one of the first steps as a gal at the church that you could take to get plugged in. We've seen so many people get plugged in because of the format that we have with that, and it's a fantastic way for you to be plugged in. And especially one of the things that we love about that is cross-generational ministry, people that you wouldn't normally uh, hang out with. Um, are sitting at the table with you, and so it's an, an opportunity for you to get to, uh, get to know them. So they had a great time doing that, so we're excited uh, about that as well. And uh, then lastly, I, uh, I just want to be just up front with you guys and, uh, and just kind of communicate uh, just briefly here. Um, just this last week, I, uh, I, I taught my sermon and I, I just want you to know that as I'm, I'm speaking, I'm, I am for you. I'm for your heart. I mentioned something at the end of, the, of, of last week. I'm for you. My heart is for you. And so if there's any sense of, wow, this feels harsh, my intent is to say to you, like, be serious about the, what the, the Word of God says. And although we didn't hear anything extremely negative back, what, what we did hear is that, that uh, between my wife and my elders, whom I, I, I listened to uh, both, and um, normally my wife is very encouraging, but I was like, I could sense like this radiating heat uh, from her a little bit, but uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. She was very kind and just said, I think you, you may have been a little bit edgy, and I think you could back off that. So I want you to know that I listened to my wife. And that's a, a positive thing. And secondly, I want you to know uh, that I listen to the elders who are over me and who, uh, who, who speak to me on these things. So if there's any sense in which you uh, may have been offended, hopefully one thing that you hear is that the word of God is offensive sometimes. Uh, but we don't want to be that way sinfully, of course. And, so, and of course, I'm human. And so I want you to know that, that I am somebody who is approachable even though I've been told that I'm a little bit intimidating to talk to at times, especially by young, uh, <laughs> young people. And so I just want you to know that I'm, I'm open to hearing uh, from you on those things. Let me also say this, that in this setting, in, in, the, in the circular setting that we have here, that this, this can lend itself to more distractions because you have people over here who are looking over here and vice versa. And so I, what I want to encourage you towards is not to feel like you need to be a statue, but just we, we want to try to eliminate distractions so that everybody is able to uh, participate. And so what that means is that we love your kids and we love, we love that you love your kids and, and things of that nature. We just want to encourage you, like, if, if you think that you're going to have to get up and, and, and head out or something, that's totally fine. That's not a big deal. But maybe sit towards, towards the back or towards the side or something like that. That would be such a huge help. But it's not just that. It's, it's just all of us can work together towards that just to reduce distractions so that we can focus on the Word of God. And so what I'm, what I'm asking from you is, is just that you would work towards that so that we can uh, all be focused on the Word of God, reduce distractions, but at the same time know that there's great comfort in this room. We want you to make yourself at home, and especially those who don't know Jesus. We want to create an opportunity for them to hear the Word of God. So um, hopefully that comes across in the, in the kindest way possible that you're hearing my heart in this and that I love you guys immensely. And so I, I appreciate you hearing me out on that. And if there's any type of pushback or, hey, did you think about this? I would love to hear it. I would love to, love to talk with you. And so thank you so much. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. And uh, I would like you to open your Bibles there if you have one. And uh, otherwise, it'll be on the screen, and, and uh, we'll discuss this. 1 Corinthians 15 um, is, is getting close to the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. As I repeatedly have, have told you, that there are numerous things that the Apostle Paul brings up about this church that they don't understand. Now, let, let me help you, help you understand something, and that is that 
Um, when we don't understand the word of God as the way that it was intended, that it is intended, we begin to act out of that. What comes out of our life, uh, the negative effects of our life, the things that we do, the ways, the ways that we act. When you see somebody who claims to be a Christian and they're acting like a jerk or they're, they're, uh, you've, just, you've been offended by them, oftentimes what you're seeing is you're seeing someone who is not towing the line, as it were, in that they're, they're not understanding something about the word of God. They're not understanding what's happening here. And the Apostle Paul repeatedly makes that claim, like this belief is leading you towards this action in your life. And so he is confronting those beliefs and the resulting actions and saying, this should not be taking place in your life, and so uh, th this needs to change about you. And so what he's been talking about uh, so far in chapter 15 is he's been talking about the gospel. And he says, so the gospel is of first importance. And, I, I, and he wants to communicate to them, like, the, this is the nuts and bolts of your Christian faith. And when you get this wrong, you get everything else wrong. And this is what I was trying to communicate to you over the last two weeks through Easter and uh, last week, is that, like, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that we also will be resurrected. But if you don't believe in resurrection, then you actually do not have the hope of the gospel. And so uh, people who are Christians are really resurrection people. We're people who whole wholeheartedly believe in the resurrection. However, what ends up happening is that we only think about resurrection on Easter Sunday. We only think about uh, being resurrected on Sunday. And, and most of the time, it really is limited to, that's a story about this person, Jesus, and how he was resurrected, but there is no transfer to our lives. It's not transferring to me and saying, because of Jesus' resurrection, now it's, it's coming back to me, and now it's actually making a difference in my life. And so Paul is communicating to these people that, like, this has to be imported into your life. And so he's taking up something else now along these same lines in that he's saying uh, he's going to communicate to them that the resurrection is clearly important, and this is in some ways what it will be like. He can't tell us everything, but he tells us some things about what it will be like. And really what he's going to get at here is... Uh, people's misunderstanding of what the resurrection is. So he says this in verse 35, chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And he says, you foolish person. So stop right there. It seems like he just blew up. Like, Paul, you need to apologize, right? All right this, like, that was a little harsh. Now, Paul, what Paul is saying, and if you read the commentaries, what they'll say is like, no, Paul actually meant, like, that's ridiculous. Uh, like, that, that's dumb. You shouldn't think that. Like, this is, this is pretty aggressive for this Apostle Paul to be saying, like, you need to be thinking uh, along these lines. And if you don't, that's foolishness. So why is he saying that? Well, in part, what he could be uh, reacting against is he could be reacting against what, uh, what people believe about their bodies. So they're in, in uh, the Greek culture that he was in, there's many people who believe the body is bad and it's horrible and so you die and then that, that gets rid of that and then you, you go into nothingness or, or what have you. Um, then there's in Judaism, they had a belief that like when you, when you die uh, and then you're resurrected, what happens is your body is the exact same and so like if you're 90 when you die, you're in trouble when you're resurrected because it's like, oh, now I'm in eternity as like an old person and, uh, you know, I'm taking uh, Centrum Silver for the rest of my life. I mean, like, that's, and, you know, drinking Metamucil. Like, that's not hopeful, right? And so, but the Apostle Paul, he's pushing back on this type of belief. Now, for us, what does this mean? What's this mean for us? Well, in our culture today, what we would uh, frequently uh, be doing is, is that we're always trying to avoid death. You think about uh, the, the makeup and the moisturizers and the wrinkle cream. I mean, there's just a few things that I use. And then there's, you know, like CrossFit. What? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, so CrossFit. And then there's sunblock. And there's antioxidants. And there's kale. 
kale. Like, who's eating kale? Like, I, I'm, I'm going to keep death away by eating this horrific plant. Like, it's like, like, I could go out and eat weeds, and it would taste better than this. Like, or weed, and for that matter. And, uh, like, anything would taste better than that. And it's because I'm trying to keep death away from me. And so we're continually trying to avoid death and avoid death and avoid death. And there's this despair that comes over our life as we see death come to pass, whether it's in, uh, in uh, Syria or uh, all over our world, just the horrific events that, uh, that are taking place and continually taking place, the things that happen in our lives, the, the ways that, that, that we've been hurt and, and sometimes we're not just uh, trying to avoid death, but in some ways we're trying to hasten death because we begin to think, man, it would almost be wor- worth it to just leave this world and just go into nothingness because I just, this is hopeless. And sometimes people can come to this point where they say, you know, um, how is God good if he allows all this type of pain and this destruction in our lives? How can a good God allow such horrific things to take place. What, doesn't he see what's happening here? And so our belief in God begins to wane, and we, or, or, or it never starts to begin with. And we say, if, if there were a God, then he would not have done this. But the truth is, is that oftentimes all we have is we have a piece of the story. We don't have the whole story. We don't have the whole story. And so there's, we have uh, tried to avoid death, or we're thinking about hastening death, or what have you. But some people have had hope in the resurrection, like uh, Ted Williams, the old baseball player. Uh, I don't know if you uh, ever, ever heard this uh, story, but he's, uh, I, I don't even know what years he played in. My, my dad knew him. The Ted Williams kids were in the school that my dad started, and so my dad had talked to him a couple times or what have you. But Ted Williams uh, lived down in Florida where we were at, and when he died, his kids wanted him back so bad that they decided... Uh, to have his head frozen uh, in uh, like nitrogen or like the chirogenic type stuff. And, and so they had his head frozen. And then, you know, this is an awful story. But like at one point they took out his head out of the freezer and set it on a tuna can. Like you can't make this up. And then they had to bang the tuna can off his head. And so Ted Williams is in trouble if he comes back in the same body, right? I mean, like... He's going to have a tuna can stuck to him or something, and it's, it's just, it's going to be off. So our hope has got to be in more than just our, our physical bodies the way that they are, because many of us are in this place where our bodies are like falling apart. Some of you are closer to death than others. I mean, I'm looking around the room right now and just saying, you're, you're on death's door. Um, it's, it's close. So we try to avoid death, and we try to avoid what's, what's happening, and the Apostle Paul says, you don't understand the resurrection. You don't understand uh, what's going on and what that means for you. And so he's going he's gonna to tell us what this means. He says, you foolish person, you need to understand what's happening here. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And I, I want to tell you, I think this is one of the most confusing passages in the Bible. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's saying, look at life as we know it. Look at life as we know it. And look around at what takes place. In many cases, we take for granted the way that resurrection happens in, in, in a real way all the time because you take this tiny seed, like, like you take an orange and, and you, you get in there and normally you, you cast those seeds aside, but did you realize that this orange came from uh, an, an identical little seed? And that what happened was this, is that someone took this seed and they put it in the ground and they buried it. Like what else happens in our life where you bury something like a piece or a part or something like this 
minutia of something else and you get something greater. Like if you bury a carburetor in the ground, does a car grow? Like I wish it did. It doesn't happen. Like you can't take anything and just bury it in the ground. No, seeds have been created by God. And these seeds, when you put them in the ground, what happens, you, you put them in the ground, you water them, and what takes place is something that's incredibly beautiful, whether it's a flower or some type of plant or a tree. I have these massive oak trees in my yard. And you look at it and you just go, this is nothing like what comes down from these trees as as seeds. This is nothing like it. Paul is saying to them that he, he says, you need to see the reality that resurrection happens all around us. And what's taking place is that you and I take for granted the fact that God has already worked in this way. It's not identical, of course, but it is the same thing. Like, if you didn't know that that took place, if I came and told you, like, hey, you put a seed in the ground and a big tree's going to grow, you'd be like, that is, that is crazy. You think about a kid when he first learns, like, that tree came from that little seed? Like, it's, it's unbelievable. But what Paul is saying is he's saying it is believable because it happens all the time. Secondly, verse 39 he says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. What's he saying there? I, that is one of the most confusing lines in all of scripture for me. Like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, there's all types of animals. What, is, what, is he, what does he mean there? What he's saying is that God has chosen that biology uh, and science would work in these ways. And he is the one who has has set into motion all of these different types of flesh. He is the one who has created fish, and he's created all of these different animals and different kinds of, of things. And so he is the one who has created these things. And so God can also create any type of flesh that he wants. He can create anything in the world. And we're so grateful that he created steak, especially. I mean, that's... That is one of the greatest types of flesh that he has ever made. Other than my own flesh, like God is so good. You can see God's kindness and mercy in flesh, um, in steak to be specific. Uh, Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. He says, look up, look at the world that you live in. And look at how incredible that is and how glorious that is. Not only is God able to take a seed and make it into this gigantic tree or this plant or whatever, and not only is he able to make different kinds of flesh, but he is able to take and create things that are glorious in their own right. When you sit and you look at the stars and you look at what's happening there and the glory of that is like, man, that's a star. That's something incredible. That's something amazing. Like, look at that. That's this heavenly view of of things that God has created that are wonderful. What you have to say is you you have to say, like, look at the creator God and the way that he has chosen to create things. And you have to understand that he's able to make things that are glorious. This God is so good that he makes all things incredibly glorious. And so what Paul, Paul is building a case. You see these things over and over again in life. And how can you not believe that God can do something else with your life, with your body? And so he says in verse 42, so it is, uh, I'm sorry, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Or corruptible is a better word to be used there. What is sown is perishable or corruptible. What is raised is imperishable or incorruptible. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If uh, there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Paul is... Uh, telling us right here, he is saying that what you and I see as being the difficulty of our world, my body is falling apart. 
Like, I'm, I'm, I am seeing the results of age. I am seeing the results of impending death. I am feeling death come over me. I can, I can see it in my face. I can see additional wrinkles. I actually don't use wrinkle cream, but um, it's shocking, I know, but uh, like, I, I can see, like I'm looking at pictures of myself a couple years ago, and I'm like, man, I look like a baby. Like somehow I, I hit like 40, and like the wheels are falling off this thing, right? Like what is going on with me? But we see the fact that we are perishable. And we try to avoid this perishable nature over and over and over again. We're continually trying to avoid what is inevitable, and that is that death is coming to all of us. Death is overwhelming every single one of us. What's, what's, that doesn't sound very hopeful. But he's saying in the reality, in the recognition that we are in these corruptible bodies, what, what's happening is that there's something that's incorruptible. What, what, what's this mean for us? That this is not the way that it was intended to be. The fact that you desire to not feel like you are uh, corruptible or that you're falling apart. The fact that you look in Syria and you say, that should not be happening. Like, death should not be coming over children who are being gassed. The fact that you are dealing with the things that you deal with, the, the ways that you were sinned against as a child, the lack of a father, the lack of parents, the, the whatever it was, the lack of food, all of those things, it is corruptible, and it threatens your life, and it's, it's, it is it is in front of us. It's a part of us. It's in us, and Paul is recognizing that that is taking place. Now, what do we try to do? We try to just avoid that. It's not falling apart. It's, it's, we're not falling apart. It's not getting bad. I, I'm a part of an email you know, group um, online or a, a website that um, deals with different neighborhoods. And somebody uh, in our neighborhood emailed and said, you know, look out. There's lots of crime in our area. Be, you know, be careful what you're uh, what's happening, keep your eyes peeled or whatever, and somebody else gets on there and says, you know what, there's good all around us. There's all kinds of great things that are taking place. You just have to look at it. You just have to see it. You just have to know what's, that there's great things that are taking place. And so there's these different points of view where there's people who think, oh, the world is such a fantastic place. You just have to find that good. And then there's people who are really recognizing that life is not the way that it should be. And here's the thing. You can also recognize it's like this pessimistic hope you can recognize like there is this reality that death is coming there is this reality that things are not the way that they should be and yet we can have hope this is what christians bring into the world he says in verse 45 thus it is written the first man adam became a living being the last adam became a life-giving spirit He's talking about uh, the first Adam, that is Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve. He's referencing that right now. And what he's saying is he's saying that this Adam, I, we referred to this last week, was a representative of all humanity. So this Adam, he comes into the world, and through his sin uh, coming into the world, he sets the pace. He sets the tone. He uh, be begins this plight into sin that humanity has. And what's happening as a result is that he was a living being, but what took place was this distortion. And so it says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. What he's saying there is he's saying that when you come from dust and, and this reality is going on, it is corruptible. It is falling apart. It is, it is not going to last. But what can last is this, is the second Adam. This is talking about Jesus. 
The possibility of this life-giving spirit that Jesus has that can come into our life and take us from being just a man of dust into somebody who is a man of heaven. So we get to identify with Jesus and say, I'm no longer just a man of dust, but I am a man of heaven. And so my life matters, and this world matters, and what's taking place is it's not just all for naught. It doesn't mean that, that I just go away to nothing, but it's this reality. I can recognize that there is sin, and there is corruption, and there is all of these problems, and this pain that I've dealt with in life, and yet I can look forward to the fact that we have this man of heaven, this last Adam, Jesus, who is uh, the man of heaven, who we will be um, like. And so he says, in verse uh, 50 here, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So flesh and blood. So this, this idea that I'm just going to be the same as I am. This idea that I'm going to go into the grave and then I'm, I'm going to be raised just like I am and then I'm, I'm going into God's kingdom and to its finality, what it will be for eternity. It's not going to be the same. And what the reality is that I cannot be just flesh and blood. I have to be a new creation. Something else must take place in my life. Something else has to happen for me to become that person who's able to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so he says this in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Who are we talking about? Is it everybody? No, he's talking about those who know and love Jesus Christ. He's saying this. He's saying, Your hope is not in your current body. It can't be that. What it has to be is that Jesus is coming. He is coming, and this trumpet is going to sound. And what's going to happen is that you and I are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. It's, it's going to be incredible. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Listen, Christians in the room, like your hope is not in your bank account. Your hope is not in your relationships. Your hope is not whether the world is getting better or whether the world is, is getting worse or whatever your hope is. Your hope is not in those things. Your hope is in the fact that we shall all be changed. That this is not it. This is not all that God has for you. And this is a continuation from last week. When you're in the depths of despair and you say, God, how could you? God, where are you? God, God is saying back to you, I've been here all along. The limitation is not in my ability, God says. The limitation is in your understanding of who I am. The limitation is not in, in, in what you think life is, which is just a, a snapshot of a forever film that is God and his life and his kingdom that is coming, that we will be changed. We will be changed. For the perishable, bo perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? What's happening right there? He, he's, he's talking about mocking Death. Think, think about all of the things in life that are trying to eliminate death. Between our workout programs and the things we, we put on our bodies and in our mouths and, and whatever else, 
Like all of the things, all of the ways that we're trying to avoid death, all of the ways that we're trying to make things better so that somehow I'll last as long as I possibly can. All of those things that he's saying, all of the pain that you've dealt with, all of the destruction that you see, all of the the sin and death that's taking place in our world, the chaos that's happening in the streets, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? I mean, it, it is similar to uh, bragging before the game is over. I was sitting next to a friend of mine. His son was playing on the opposite team that my son was, and my son was uh, pitching, and he actually struck his son out. And so, I mean, we're like halfway through the game. And in Little League, things can turn on a dime. I mean, like they can run the table um, it's, it, it's incredible, but um, I, I'm sitting there, and, and of course, Marshall strikes out his son, and so I begin to brag, and I start singing, na, 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 hey, hey, uh, You know, I, it just kind of joking. That's what Paul's doing right here. The, the game ain't even over, but I already know the end. The game's not over, but I know the end. Death goes down in flames. Like, we're going to cut the net off of their side before the game is even over, right? Like, it is done. Like, it, it is finished. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the guarantee is it is finished. I'm on the cross. It is finished because I'm going to the grave, but I'm going to be resurrected. And that your hope does not lie in whether or not you experience death early or late or whether or not you've been through a lot of pain or a little bit of pain, which matters to God, your hope doesn't lie in that. Your hope lies in this. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? You you don't have anything on me. You don't have what it takes. You can't hold me down. Look at how much our world is controlled by death. And look what he says here further. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what this means here for just a second. The sting, when it says that, is it, it could be referring to bee stings or scorpion stings. So he's, he's saying that death is like a bee, death is like a scorpion, and the sting of that death, like think of a scorpion who has, you know, another animal or insect in its grasp, and it stings that, uh, that insect. It stings them to kill them, to be able to do whatever it wants with them. Death is stinging us constantly. It's stinging us, and it's stinging us through sin. You look at how death is working through our lives, and it's working through our neighborhoods. I was just reading an article yesterday about how this uh, political movement threatened that political movement and said, we're going you know, to take them down if they come to this parade. Death is working through the streets of Portland. Death is working through uh, Oregon, through sex trafficking. The sting of death is sin. Death is working through uh, your life. It's been working through your life, through the people that have wronged you and sinned against you deeply. Death has visited us. How does it visit us? God says to Adam and Eve, do not eat of this fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Death is going to come to you. And ever since that day, death has been coming to us. But that's not the way that God designed it. That's not what God intended. Sin came in and destroyed life. Sin comes in and and destroys us. The sting of death is sin. Death has us in this grip. But we can say, while sitting there, held by a scorpion, as it were, and just say, oh no, you're going down. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? You ain't got nothing. You can't sting me enough to put me in the grave. You can't sting me uh, in order to take me down because my hope is not in your reality. My hope is in the God of the universe who created the seed, who brings about resurrection in plants, who created the glory of our world, 
who created all of this flesh, that creator, my God, my king, is the one who brought about these things. And so death has no hold on me. Think, think through this with me. Every single day, you're dealing not just with, oh, they were just kind of mean to me, or oh, that, 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 this happened, that. You're dealing with the effects of death on life. You're dealing with that. When Jesus went to the cross, Satan believed that he had won. Satan believed that he had taken him down. But what Jesus was doing, he was taking Satan down. And it's finished. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now that last verse doesn't seem to go with everything that he just said. But what I think he's referring to is he's saying, you know everything that I just told you about? It all has its fulfillment. It all comes together in this doctrine. Your life as a Christian, your, 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 your personhood, how you think about life and, where, and, and what you react to and the, the various things that you're dealing with in life as you, as you go on and on, it all comes down to this. And so he's saying to them, He's saying that your steadfastness, your immovability, uh, your ability to work in the Lord is, yes, it's rooted in this doctrine and everything else that I've been telling you from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 on, but he's, he's saying, like, you get to be somebody who is steadfast, who, like, the, the waves of life come over you, and you don't have to be somebody who's knocked over every time. Because death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? You don't have anything against me. You get a, a notice from your doctor. The test came back positive, and you're in trouble. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? You don't have anything on me. Somebody I love just went to the grave. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? You don't have anything on me. This is not the last word. This is not the last word. You can be steadfast and immovable in our culture where the world is, is constantly flustered by outrage. Our world is, is, is an outrage culture today. We're, we're looking for the next outrage. It will probably happen on Monday morning. The headlines are written so that you will be outraged, so that you will be torn apart, so that you will be like, how could this happen? How could this take place? Who allowed this to happen here? Who allowed these people in this place be steadfast and immovable. I'm not surprised by what took place. God's not surprised about what took place. One day he gives me a new body and a new hope and he is going to raise me to life and my body is going to be more glorious than it is now. Who knows what it'll be like, but this won't matter because death is going down. It, it, it will not survive. It will no longer have the sting of sin that that headline reads. And so I can go through life and I, cannot be, I do not have to be outraged by every little thing. It doesn't mean that I don't take up the cause of, of, of people that are wounded and hurting. It means because of that, because I know that I have hope, I can take up that cause without fear. I can take up that cause and I can say it matters. Their suffering matters to God. And so I can take that up. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What this means is that because of Jesus Christ going to the cross and taking death out, it means that everything, all of the good, 
all of the things that you bring into your, your world, the way that you bring healing, the way that you are helping other people, that doesn't save you. But what it does say is this, I am uh, a part of the kingdom of God and I am a part of his kingdom that he's bringing and I'm a part of that. I'm serving God. I'm bringing about healing. I'm bringing about restoration through God's power. I am moving with him because I know that he is victorious. Because I know that he is not going to be taken out. And that this world will ultimately be changed. And so we can look at the end of Revelation. If you want to turn there with me. Revelation chapter 21. And this is speaking about the end of all things, the end of history as we know it. The, the, the end, this is what it takes place. And he's, he's picturing what's taking place. And he says in chapter 21, verse 1 of Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be uh, mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Think about the hope that comes from this. Not only do I have a new body, but I have a new city that's coming down and it's coming to earth and we're going to dwell with God and he's going to dwell with us. And there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more pain. And I'll have this glorified body that is, that is able to withstand the presence of God and to be in his kingdom and to be a part of what he's, what he's doing and it says in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Your hope is not rooted in your circumstances. Your hopelessness, because of your past, because of the things that you've done, because of the way that you acted, is gone. It's gone. Through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, your hope is firmly rooted in the reality of God's kingdom, this new city coming down to earth, and we get to dwell with God. Are you resurrection people? your hope rooted in that he is making all things new. That he is causing all things to change. And it may not feel like he is on the warpath. It may not feel like he is even winning. But I can tell you this, that he is winning. Things may not feel like they're getting better. But I want to tell you that this is Satan who is he has his last gasp, and he has that in Syria, and he has that in your neighborhood, and he has that in your family, and he has that on the streets of Portland. It is his last gasp because he knows that his days are numbered because we are singing the victory song. We are mocking him. We are mocking death because we know the end of the story because we have the hope. Because we have the reality, the same God that raises that plant out of the ground for no obvious reason. Like, oh, I just saw a resurrection. The same God who put the stars in the sky, the glory of what that is, that same God, 
He is the one who's making all things new. He is the one who is saying, don't get tired. Keep on going because I win. I have won. It's already over. We're just waiting for the clock to wind down. And then it's done. And then you and I have an incredible hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope is, is, is now. It's to be lived out now. So let's just talk in reality here. Most of us think about our Christianity and we think, you know, I, I'm thinking about my personal relationship with, with Jesus. It's isolated to just me. We think about, like, the morality of my life. Who am I in relation to God? And what, what's going on with me? It's, it's, it has, it's constantly having to do with just me and my life. And it never goes into this reality, this broader reality. And so what can take place is that I'm in absolute despair in my sin. And sometimes you are. Or, or I'm so engulfed in my sin that there is no despair. And so I'm not realizing that, that he came and he took out death and he took out the sting of sin so that I'm no longer a slave to sin. And so no matter how you look at it, whether you're in deep despair or you're in deep sin or whatever, like what's, what's happening is I'm not thinking about the end. We're not ultimately and finally resurrection people. But what would change? How would your life be different if you wholeheartedly believed in the resurrection and your hope was not in your current body, your current state, this life as the only thing that is. I want to tell you that I think life would be different in some ways when you get the notice that says, here's your prognosis, and it's worse than we thought. You have less time. We have so many young people in this church that most of us don't even think about this. But your day will come. Every single one of you will die eventually. It's, it's morbid, right? But every single one of us will be there. When, when they come and they say, we're taking this from you. We're taking your freedom or we're taking your house or we're taking what, whatever. Or something is taken from you. You... Your hope is not in whether you got a good prognosis or whether you have those things. Your hope is not in your body and in this current state. Your hope is in something else. It means that you can enter fully into relationship with other people because of this, because of the hope that you have. You can now say, it doesn't matter what I lose it doesn't matter what's taken from me. It doesn't matter what happens in my life because my hope is not firmly rooted here. It is firmly rooted in there, and that is why I have hope for everyone else in life. What would change? What would change? I can tell you this. I think that we would be incredibly passionate people. And when we, when we talk about that glorious day, it's not escapism. It is, it is it's, it's just saying, I'm looking forward to God's great design, and I'm working hard till that day. Whether, whether I go into the grave and I'm waiting for my resurrection or he returns early, come, Lord Jesus, because of the pain and the suffering, and I know you're going to bring it to an end, but my hope is in you. Like, what would change? Like, the, everything that I'm, that I'm dealing with right now, like in this moment of my life, the fact that, I, that I'm not married yet and I, and I don't have this yet, like our hope would not be in 
my married state now. My hope would not be in whether I make the grade or not. My hope would be in, yes, working diligently as unto the Lord, but my hope would finally and completely be in God's purposes in this life. I would be steadfast. I would be immovable. I would be somebody who is after the things of God because Jesus went to the cross for me. And because I have this hope, what would be different? And I think the question is this, what would not be different? Outward church, outward church family, what wouldn't God do here? What would he not do in our city? Because we're, we've firmly grasped his resurrection, this new body, this new city, this incredible place. What wouldn't change about us because of that hope? I think everything would change. I think everything would change. Is your hope in Jesus? Or is your hope in your morality? Is your hope in Jesus or is it in what you experience here and now? The, the peace and comfort that you get from the things that you have. What, what's your hope in? Paul says it's foolish. It's, it's foolishness. It's hopelessness to think any other way. Jesus Christ went to the cross to save sinners from the sting of death and death itself. Have you received him as your savior? And if you have, are you living in that reality? If you are not, what needs to happen in, in place of that? That's the question you need to answer. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm just praying for all of us as we, as we contemplate your word and we contemplate what you've had to say to us today. Lord, um, your word is incredible and it, it tells us what we need to know. But Lord, too often we overlook these passages that are so deep and yet so complicated to understand. So Lord, I pray that we would have the hope of your resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would carry that around with us, knowing that you have come into our lives to cause things to be different, knowing that you have brought this resurrection to pass so that we could have hope. Lord, I pray that we'd share that with our city. That, Lord, we're willing to put up with, with anything in order to pass on this resurrection hope to our city. Lord, may we be a light in a dark place. May we not have blinders on to, to the reality that Salem, yes, is a dark place. It seems innocuous, but it is not. It is real. Satan is at work. Death is at work in this place. So, Lord, may we bring about this um, great hope through a resurrection understanding, through your cross and through your resurrection. Lord, may we show this world how much we believe that you went to the cross for us and were resurrected. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.